Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for enduring the temperatures. I uh, debated wearing a larger sweater, and I thought, no, surely I won't need that. Uh, I could have used that, but, or I could have loaned it to you, <laughs> either one. <laughs> if you would turn in your Bibles this morning, please, to uh, Psalm 32. should be right about the middle of your Bible if you're using the Pew Bible there. Psalm 32. Before we begin our service today, I'm going to read this for us. It's not, not a very long psalm. Psalm 32, a mascal of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and worship you. We are grateful that we have this opportunity on a Sunday morning to join together, to have your word open in front of us. We have the freedoms to do so, we have the opportunity to do so, and we thank you for those. And Father, as we, as we open your word, as we discuss these themes of sin and judgment and forgiveness and joy, I pray that you would minister to us by your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In our culture today, we don't really necessarily have a lot of heroes that we look to. It seems like 
the more we might want to look at a hero, the more we can see how non-heroic he is. <laughs> and actually, we're going to look into a passage today in Scripture that uh, is written by a man, David, King David, who uh, many would consider to be a hero of the faith, and in many ways, he is a hero in the Bible. He did great things, he saw great things, but we'll see that the more we look at him, we will see that he is a lot like us as well. David was a man who had been through a lot. He had been born into relative obscurity. He was the youngest brother in a family with a lot of brothers. And from a very early age, though, God had set his his seal upon him, as it were, had put his hand upon him so that even from a young age, uh, David knew the blessing of God. And he had seen great things. He had been uh, promised great things. He had even been promised that he would one day be king over God's people. And you would think that would be the moment the story turns really good in his life and everything uh, starts looking up for David, but that's not really the case. Even after that promise, even long after that promise, he began to see people come against him. Enemies stand against him because of uh, envy and jealousy and for other reasons that they would fight against him. And so he dealt with adversity. He dealt with hardship. He uh, uh, dealt with people who opposed him in his life very personally, even, even friends of his, even family members who would stand against him at times. He had dealt with difficulty. And actually, David spent years on the run that he actually lived in caves at times, hiding from his enemies. And at times, he actually went and lived among enemy nations because he was hiding from his enemies back home. And so David knew difficulty. He knew hardship, but he also knew great success. He was very skilled in battle. He was a very successful uh, battle lord, a battle commander, and, and uh, he was really a force to rally and unify his people at different times. And, and he saw very great success and very great notoriety. And David is also called the sweet psalmist of Israel. He's the author of this psalm. And he wrote many of the psalms that we have in the book of Psalms in our Bible. So he clearly knew God, and he clearly knew God's favor. David had experienced a lot, but he had also dealt with profound moral failure, not just success, not just God's approval, not just uh, God's favor in his life, but also uh, his own profound moral failure. After he had become king, he got into a situation where he got involved in an adulterous relationship with a married woman named Bathsheba. And when it came about, when he found out that she was pregnant, he panicked. And he eventually ended up arranging the death of her husband, placing him in battle in the most dangerous spot and then telling those around him to like step back and let him bear the, the brunt of the enemy's fury. And so he ended up murdering her husband. And then he continued to try and cover it up. He quickly took Bathsheba as his own, married her, and tried to cover up all of that. And so his plan to hide his sin seemed to have worked. The husband was killed, and he married Bathsheba, and he kind of thought he had gotten away with it. He thought maybe he had been able to navigate that to, to escape from the consequences of his sin, but of course, he hadn't. 
Sometime later, God mercifully sent a prophet to, to David to, to bring an end to the pretense. And uh, many of you remember the story of when the prophet Nathan came and told this story, told this parable, and, and through this parable, David came to realize that someone who did what David had done was guilty of terrible, terrible sin. And Nathan the prophet said, David, it was you. You're the one who sinned in those ways. And so David was struck with the weight of the reality of what he had done, the guilt, the shame of the sins that he had committed. God knew. And David was guilty of deception and adultery and murder. David was a man who knew personal moral failure. And so though David's not a a hero in the maybe traditional sense that we can uh, look to his life and emulate his life in every way, yet he also offers a path for it. He's uh, for us to understand how to deal with our own sin. He wrote down here in this psalm in a way that gives us insight into how he was able to deal with sin, how he was able to deal with guilt before God. How David was able to find peace with God after such terrible sin and guilt and failure. And so today, I want us to uh, look at this psalm as a kind of guide to help us understand how guilty people like us can find peace with God like David did. And so as we turn to the psalm and we uh, look at it here for a few minutes. You've got an outline there in your bulletin and, and uh, some blanks there to fill in if you want to. And we see in the first uh, couple of verses here what I've called blessed forgiveness. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And this is this is like the introduction to the psalm. This is like the, uh, the, the entree into it where we see the themes that are going to be dealt with in the psalm. What, what's David going to be talking about? What is this psalm really about? Well, in those first couple of verses there, we can see that he's going to be talking about sin. That David's going to be addressing his own sin in his life and how, uh, how painful it was. We're going to see more details perhaps about his sin, not the specifics of what the sins were or, or anything like that, but, but what it meant, the significance of the sin. But it's not, not just a psalm about that. If we were to write a psalm just about sin, no one would want to read it. There would be no reason to do so. And so we see here also that he's not just talking about sin, that he's actually going to be talking about forgiveness. He's going to be talking about, kind of as an overarching theme, this blessed forgiveness of what it means not to have our transgressions credited to our account. So that's going to be a larger theme of what he's talking about here is forgiveness and just how wonderful a thing that is. And so this central theme of uh, of forgiveness is uh, is essential to what we're going to be talking about today. The, but the question that we need to ask before we uh, can enjoy and can experience, can fully comprehend how valuable forgiveness is, we first need to answer the question, why do we need to be forgiven? Why do we need to be forgiven? And that brings us uh, right into the heart of the psalm here. We see, first of all, in verses 3 and 4, the effects of sin. 
Why is it that we need to be forgiven? Well, David can talk very directly to that. He can, he can speak clearly and personally and, and, and in, a, in a powerful way on this topic of sin and its effects in the life. And what does David say? He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. He was able to turn a phrase, as you might imagine, as someone who is a psalmist, a songwriter, a poet, who is considered the sweet psalmist of Israel. And you can see why, that he, in describing his, the effects of sin in his life, he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Have you ever felt that? My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand, God, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You can picture that. And you can, you can imagine that. And, and actually, you can probably remember that. In your own life, those times where your own sin, your own guilt before God has weighed on you in such a way that you feel like your, your bones are falling apart. You see, we're, we're all a little bit like David. We have sin too. And our sin may not be quite the same as David's sin. I mean, he was an adulterer and he was a murderer, among other things. And, and maybe we haven't done those things. Maybe you have done those things. But even if we haven't done those things, Jesus says, he, he tells his disciples that, that even when we just turn down the road in our hearts, that the road that heads towards adultery, the road that heads toward murder, even when we, we, we turn there in our own desires and we begin to want those sorts of things, he says, actually, we're guilty of those sins already in our heart. Yeah, you, you haven't gone and done the deed of killing that person, but, but you may be willing to hate them. Well, that's just the first step down that road. You've already begun to travel that direction. Or maybe the same thing with adultery. You've not actually committed adultery with that person, but you've, you've, you've allowed yourself to lust for that person. That's, that's like the first step. You've already begun to travel that direction. And so though maybe we've done, not done the things that David has done, yet in our hearts we've wanted to. He committed those sins. But if we're honest, we have in our hearts as well. And the Bible says at any time we do what God has told us not to do, or any time we refrain from doing what God has told us to do, that's called sin. That's called sin. Whether it's in action, something that we actually do, or whether it's in desire, where I just want the wrong thing, or whether it's in the things that we say, the moment we turn down that road in our hearts, we've begun to commit those sins already. And we all have it. We all have sin. We all um, have far more sin, actually, than what we're aware of. One of the things that, that I've recognized about myself as I have grown in the Christian life is that I've become more aware of my sin than when I first became a Christian, low those 30 years ago. I knew then that I had sin, and I was right. 
And now I look and I recognize the presence of more sin than I recognized back then. And so I see it more clearly. It becomes more of a reality in my own understanding. God is the one who's created us, and He has every right to expect our obedience and our devotion. And any time, in any way that we do not give Him that obedience and that devotion, that's called sin. And the more we understand ourselves and the more we understand God and what He's like, the more we understand the presence of sin in our own lives. And David had sin, but at this point in his life, he really didn't want to admit it. He didn't want to own up to this situation. He didn't uh, want to uh, come forward with the sin that he had committed. And when you think about the reality of David living in uh, the nation of Israel as the king, he's a very visible figure, and he's living in this world that God had created, it's, it's almost humorous to think about him thinking he could get away with sin. It's a little bit like watching a toddler. You know, their mom has made fresh-baked cookies, and they're on the table, but the toddler has been told no, but mom turns her back, and what does the toddler do? Sidles up to the table, right? Looks left, looks right. Mom's looking the other way, now's my time, right? And the child knows they're not allowed to have that cookie, but he really wants it. And so little hand goes up, grabs it, and then they scamper off <laughs> to go eat it somewhere real quick before mom figures out, right? Well, did mom figure out? Somehow the child seems surprised that mom knew all along what was going on. Moms know those things. I have no idea how, but they do. Right? And it doesn't even take the evidence on the face of the child, the, 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 the smeared chocolate chips and the, and the cookie crumbs on the shirt. It doesn't take the evidence. Mom already knew. Right? And so we look back you know, from our wisdom, our years, and we, you know, we've parented kids and we've seen this before, and we think, silly toddler, you'll learn your lesson eventually, right? Moms always know. But we're like that. We're like that toddler. David was like that toddler. You know, he looked left. And he looked right, and he figured out a way to get, to, to get away with his scheme, but he forgot to look up. He, he, he forgot that God was watching him the whole time. That, yeah, he might be able to deceive the person on his left. He might be able to trick the person on his right. He might be able to get away with it on a horizontal level. He, he might be able to commit the perfect crime, and no one ever find out about it even if that were to happen. God knows. God knows. Sin is like that, and we are like that toddler. We look left and we look right. We think we can get away with it. Uh, we think we can, uh, can achieve this, uh, our plan. And as long as no one really notices or no one really cares, then we've gotten away with it. But God always notices, and God always cares. He knows all that we do. He knows all that we even just want to do. And so David did that, and he began to feel the, the weight of God knowing about his sin. The weight of God knowing about his sin crushed him. It was like a, a, like a burden on his back that would bend him over. He says in verse 3, when I kept silent, about my sin is the point. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. When he tried to keep his sin hidden, it ate 
at him. He knew something was wrong. He says day and night that Lord's hand was heavy upon him. Now, David was a believer. David was a man after God's own heart. David wrote portions of Scripture. But he was getting a taste of the effects of sin. And sin causes enmity between man and God. That's because sin is hateful to God. It's rebellion against God. It's rebellion against His law, against His rule, against what He says we are to do. So maybe you've come here today and you feel like maybe the Lord's hand is heavy upon you. Maybe you had to spend a little bit of extra time in front of the mirror before you came in this morning to try and get rid of the evidence of of weeping. Maybe you feel the Lord's hand heavy upon you. Well, you are not alone. You are not alone. We are all a lot like David. But here's where we really need to take a cue from him. He came to a place where he owned his sin. Point three. In verse five, he says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see, most people, when they realize the problem of their sin, they begin to think the solution to their sin is to stop sinning. Well, that's a good idea, and that's something that we should do. But the problem is that even if you could stop sinning, and by the way, you couldn't make that happen if you wanted to. Sin comes from the heart. It comes from what we desire. And so you can't just shut that off like a, like a valve. So the problem is that even if you could stop sinning, you still have a sin debt from all your past sins that you would have to make up for. And that you really could never do. No, the solution is to confess our sins to God. We need to own our sin before Him rather than try to pretend that it doesn't exist like that toddler even with the cookie crumbs on his face. So why not acknowledge your sin to God? And why not stop trying to hide it? Why not just own before God that you have sin, that you are a sinner, and seek God's forgiveness? That's what David would have us learn. But he also gives to us two important warnings. Two important warnings. Look at verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. The first warning is about self-delusion. It's about self-delusion. The image that it gives here in verse 6, what always comes to my mind when I read about calling out to the Lord, offering prayer to the Lord when He may be found, because surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach Him. I have, I have this image in my mind that I'm floating on a raft, I'm going down a river, it seems like no big deal, but then there's a waterfall coming. 
right? There's a waterfall coming. I'm about to go over the edge. When's the time to get out of the middle of the river? When you get to the edge in the rush of great waters? No. The time to get out of the middle of the river is, is way upstream. That's the image that I have here, and that's the image that he's giving. The, the, the delusion that we have is that we have time. Oh, we have time. Yeah, I know I'm beginning to hear the roar of the waters, but I've, I've got time, right? And oh, I'm beginning to see the mist from it kicking up from the waters going over the edge. I've got time. Oh, the water's picking up a little bit. I've, I've still got time. I'm pretty fast. I, that's, that's the delusion that we have. And the application for us here is don't wait for some later time that may never come. You may round the bend in the river, and there it is. Too late. Swimming's not an option. I hope you can fly. So many think that they will just have their fun now, and then they will get right with God later on. Usually when they're old and when they can't have any more fun anymore, right? That's the plan. That's the delusion. There are two problems with that. First, over time, unrepentant sin gains more power over you, not less. It will be harder to turn from the temptations of sin later on than it is right now. That's the first problem. The second one is simply that you don't know whether you will have a later on in your life. Today may be your last later on. It's appointed for men to die once, and then comes judgment, Hebrews 9, 27, where there are no second chances and where you will have to give an account for every wrong done. So don't wait until later to deal with your sin problem. That's what David would warn us. That's what David would want us to, to, to recognize is that that waterfall is coming. So offer prayer to God now before that rush of waters. But, he says, for the one who has peace with God, who has owned his sin and his guilt, who has come to God for forgiveness and life and salvation, that that person finds the Lord to be a hiding place, to preserve him from trouble and to give joyful deliverance. So be careful not to be self-deluded. And secondly, be careful not to be self-willed. God says in verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Now, you, you've heard the phrase, stubborn as a mule. Well, that has meaning, and it comes from somewhere. You see, mules are, are different than horses. And I'm not talking anatomically or whatnot. Mules are different from horses. Mules have a reputation for being very stubborn. And I think that's uh, a good reputation for them. But here's why, I think, how, how it's been explained to me. Horses will let themselves get hurt. They will allow themselves to be forced to do something that will get them hurt. Whereas a mule has a stronger sense of self-preservation. The mule looks at the, 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 the situation that, that the rider is trying to make him get into. He realizes it's going to end up hurting the mule. And so the mule's like, I'm not doing that. 
right? I mean, smart. <laughs> it shows intelligence there, right? But it comes across to us as sheer stubbornness. And it's because they know better, right? Because they know better. I'm not doing that because I'm going to die, <laughs> right? That's a good kind of stubbornness, but, but that's not his point right now. His point right now is that the mule thinks he knows better. The horse thinks he knows better. You've, you've got to put a bit and bridle to hold them near you or else they just take off. The application here is don't be stubborn like a mule thinking that you know a better way. Let God instruct you and teach you the way to be saved from your sins. Don't think you know a better way. And so what is the way that God would instruct us to teach us to be saved from our sins? Since, since never sinning again is not an option, because you're going to, and since there's nothing you can do to repay the debt for your past sins, what are your options? Well, the first option is not a good one. That's the one where you stand before God on the last day and answer for your sins and take your punishment. And this is the option, unfortunately, that so many choose for themselves. But your sin comes with a greater cost than you can imagine. And it comes with a greater cost than you can pay. Those who take this route spend the rest of eternity suffering under that debt. Please don't take that option. The way God has provided is so much better. Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth as one of us. But where each of us has disobeyed, Jesus lived a completely obedient life before God. He obeyed where we have not. And whereas we are the ones who deserve God's judgment for our sins, He presented Himself to suffer God's judgment for the sins of guilty people like you and me, when he gave his life on the cross. He gave himself to pay the penalty for our sin. And God poured out his wrath for sinful people, for all of the sins of sinners like you and me, poured out that wrath on the sinless Son of God. And Jesus died under that wrath, and he was buried in a tomb. But on the third day, God showed that he was pleased with Jesus' substitution for sinners. And he raised him back to life, and he finally received him back to himself in heaven. That's the way that God presents for us to be saved. That's the option that we want you to choose. That's the option that I want you to choose. So folks, today is the day when the Lord may be found. We're still upstream. I don't know how far upstream. I don't know how far upstream in your life. But there will come the waterfall. There will come the time for each of us, and we don't know when it is. I mean, young people have a plan that they're going to die when they're, you know, when they're like old and 50 or something. And I'm almost 50, and I'm thinking, well, can I have a little more? <laughs> we have a plan. We have desires. We, and we think, of course, that's the way it's going to work out. But that's not always the way it works out, is it? We all know that. The waterfall is coming at some point. 
around some bend, and I don't know when. I don't know when that is for you, and so call out to the Lord today while you're still upstream, while you still have opportunity, because that waterfall may come upon you before you even realize it. Don't be stubborn like a mule. But be like David who eventually confessed his sin to God. Though he, though he sat under the agony of, of holding that sin in, of, of, of being unwilling to admit it, of just trying to conceal it and, and pretend like everything's fine. And God's hand was heavy upon him. And his bones were wasting away like he had some kind of fever that was going to kill him. But he finally came to a place where he confessed his sin to God. And so confess that you are powerless to rescue yourself from your own sin and from the righteous judgment of God for you. And call out to Jesus to be your hiding place, to forgive your iniquity because of the payment that he made for your sin on the cross. And when you place your faith in Christ that way, you will say along with David, how blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. David could say those words at the beginning of this psalm not because he was a righteous man, not because he was a man who lived without sin, not because he was a man who had done everything right. You read about David. You read about any of the saints in the Bible, and you'll find that they had their own sin. Jesus is the only one in Scripture, and Jesus is the only one in the world, and Jesus is the only option of someone who has obeyed God completely and perfectly in all the things that He said, all the things that He did, all the things He refrained from, even the desires of His heart. And David would have us look to Him. David would have us look to Jesus, who is the one who was perfectly obedient and gave Himself as an offering for sin to pay that penalty. That in Him we have forgiveness. That in Him we have righteousness credited to, it, to us so that we could be called righteous, not because we do all the righteous things, Though we want to, and though we grow in that as we grow as Christians, yet we still have that remainder of sin. David would have us look to Jesus. And this is what he calls, uh, what I will call the blessed trust of verses 10 and 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. What's the distinction there? There are two categories of people, the wicked, and you'd think it would be the righteous. And often the Bible does that, gives us that distinction between the wicked and the righteous, but that's not what uh, the distinction that he gives us here in verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. Where is steadfast love to be found? Where is peace with God to be found? Well, if you had been able to obey God perfectly, if you had been able to live your entire life with no sin in thought, word, or deed, if you had always honored God, if you had always loved God with all of your capacity and loved your neighbor as yourself, if you had done all of that, well, 
Righteousness could be that. But none of us has done that. None of us since Adam. Except for Jesus himself. And that's why he would say, the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Where is righteousness to be found? Where is peace with God to be found? Where is life to be found? It is to be found by trusting in the sacrifice that God has provided, by trusting in the Lord Himself who has obeyed in our place and given Himself as a sacrifice in our place that we would be forgiven of our sins, that we would have right standing before God and peace with Him. Our righteousness before God, our ability to be in His presence and at peace with God is only ours by our trust in Him. And people who've been in church for decades sometimes even tend to forget this. We tend to think that, yeah, the sacrifice of Christ is what gets me into uh, this relationship with God, but now it's up to me to do this thing and that thing in order to maintain a relationship with God. But what does David say in verse 10? He says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. How do we continue to walk in the steadfast love of God? It's by trusting Him. It's by looking to Jesus, our Savior, on step one of our Christian life and step one million of our Christian life, looking to Jesus. Steadfast love of God surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. So, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright of heart who have found peace with God and forgiveness for your sins by trusting in Jesus, the one who lived and died in your place so that you might have righteousness and life. David's words here in this psalm are words for all of us. Those of us who have been in church for, for decades, those of us who maybe this is our, uh, one of our first times we've ever been in a church, this is the message for us, is that we need to realize our sin and realize that in Jesus we have a place to take that sin. We have one who paid the penalty for that sin, and we have one who lived a righteous life so that he can give his credit, his record of righteousness to us. That by trusting in the Lord... We have peace with God. And that is the only way. And that is the way that it's my desire that each of us would take today. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for these words. I don't like to talk about sin. I don't like to think about sin. I don't like to think about the judgment that comes from, uh, from sin, the judgment that each of us deserves. I don't like to think about the judgment that those who reject this Messiah, reject this way of salvation that you have provided, the judgment that they will endure. It's, it's eternal, and it's torment, it's anguish, and it's what I deserve. And if it weren't for Jesus, it would be what I would get. Father, I pray that each of us here today would, though we don't like to think about sin and don't like to talk about it, that we would be aware of our own. 
and that we would not end there, that we would not stop thinking there, woe is me, I have all this sin, but that we would realize not only the judgment that it deserves, but the deliverance that there is in Jesus. The salvation that there is in Jesus, the offering that He made for that sin, so that by faith in Him, a sinner like me could have life. A sinner like David could have life eternal. Peace with God through Jesus. So, Father, I pray that for each of us as we go forth today, I pray that we would look to Jesus. That we would find life and forgiveness in Him. That we would find peace with You. That we would think about these things and we would talk about these things and we would take this this message to those around us who need to hear. Father, I thank You for the example that we have in David, not in his righteous life. We see that he didn't always have that. But in how he was able to deal with his sin debt by faith in you. So, Father, we rejoice in that salvation. We rejoice in that gift that Jesus paid for us, the life that he lived for us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. There's going to be a family up front who would love to pray with you. Uh, if, if you have uh, something you want to pray uh, for or pray about, they would love to do that with you. I'm going to be down front also if you have questions uh, or, or any comments about the sermon or any response to it or anything like that. Otherwise, God bless you all, and you are dismissed.